Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Extraordinary Family Life Podcast. We are your hosts, Greg and Rachel Denning, and we are grateful for you for listening. Thank you. Glad to have you here. Excited about uh, sharing today's topic, although it's a sensitive and and painful and uncomfortable topic. Sometimes terrifying. It topic. is terrifying, and it and you you hear things, see things, come across things that you, you don't want to hear or see or come across ever. You wish it weren't happening in in our time or especially in your life to anyone you know but it has become a reality in our world and so it needs to be faced and that's it's uncomfortable and scary and intimidating and we'd rather not most of us would well that's where this little kind of little metaphor comes from just burying your head in the sand and hoping you know everything goes away but we can't and in fact as we'll get into later if if we don't do our part, then we're actually contributing to the problem. But before, whoosh, that's, I mean, we hit, we hit it hard, but I want to just give a little, uh, little update first before we dive into the topic. Rachel and I just returned from our annual honeymoon trip. And yes, you heard me right. Every year we take a honeymoon trip because who wants to have one honeymoon in their marriage? Yeah, that is lame. That's the lamest idea ever. But I didn't know any different, so we fully embraced it for years and years and years. And then finally we are like, no, man, let's take a trip every year to celebrate us mm-hmm. and to celebrate our marriage. And we realized we've taken awesome. three trips this year already. Oh, oops. We did, we, did our, <laughs> we did our Valentine's trip, which was incredible, to the Dolomites. And mm-hmm. then we did our anniversary trip to... Probably like two nights, then we did an anniversary trip to Bodrum, to Bodrum Turkey. Turkey. It was like three nights, and I think. And this one was to the Lake District. And we're grateful In to England. our friends, another couple. They made us aware of this area. I didn't I didn't knew nothing about it. And they said, I'd hey, heard of go. it from, you know, Pride and Prejudice. Of course, they went to the Lakes District. So, oh, you know, Pride is. and Prejudice fame, but it it's worth all the hype, yep. that's for sure. It was amazing. What what a spectacular place with a beautiful, it's, beautiful history. It is the, I think, ideal, picturesque English countryside. I mean, it's got the little either white or stone cottages and all of the flowers and the beautiful stone fences. And the whole time we were there. Rivers and lakes. Yeah. And the whole time we were there, everywhere we went, there were blackberries on the side of the road. It was like nonstop blackberry feasting. So go in August, late August to the Lake District and you can have all you can eat blackberries. And we went to the home of William Wordsworth, which was great because I had memorized one of his poems years ago and I'd recited it in a poetry, um, poetry thing we did. And we went to the home of Beatrix Potter, and we saw Charlotte Mason's grave. Which was a divine which, coincidence. Yeah, we didn't know. Like one of those there. beautiful In- serendipitous things where we went to this gorgeous church. And we're like, oh, let's take this little path through the cemetery. And we walk right down and said the, the grave of Charlotte Mason. Uh-huh. Which, was, which was in Ambleside, which is a beautiful town. with Which happens to also be the outdoor gear Capital. Mecca yeah. of Northern England, so I was happy about that. We went so like many every outdoor <laughs> outdoor gear shops. Yeah, <laughs> so it was a, it was a great time. It was just so wonderful. And again, we love emphasizing how important doing these trips are, and we've talked about it before. And it is it's critical to have these we believe annual trips as a couple because it gives us a chance to just. For me, I love it because we literally are almost like kids. <laughs> you and I, we just get to have that playful aspect of, of a man and a woman playing and flirting and having fun and teasing each other and being with each other and making love, like all of this, all of these wonderful things that only happen when you are just with your spouse. It's not something you can do. It, it, there's just a different side of that relationship that comes out that's not always there when you're, you're with the kids because there's a lot. And we love being with our kids and we love going on trips with our kids. But it is very different. And I think it's so important to have that happening at least once a, once a year where you can interact in that way and remind yourself that, you know, it started with a man and a woman falling in love. That's where it started. And it needs to be maintained and refreshed and renewed 
And that's why we do this and why it's so incredible. Yep, and it's worth the commitment and the dedication to make it happen. And the money. And the money, the investment. <laughs> because you can set aside for several days thoughts of managing the home and thoughts of running mm -hmm. the business and work. And you clear your mind of all the transactional things that are necessary in life to really focus on the transformational part of your marriage. Mm -hmm. And it is magical. So awesome, yeah. so special, so important. So make it a reality. I know some of you have gotten it, you've settled into the mindset of, well, we go on our weekly dates and we. We do errands we, together. We talk, yeah, we run errands together and we talk and we hold hands and that's enough. And, you know, after the kids move out, then, then maybe we'll do some things like that. And I'm saying, no, if you don't nurture your marriage, then you won't make it until the kids move out. And if you do, if you just endure each other until they move out, then you'll find out, like, oh, we've kind of grown apart or we let the kids get in the way or you can't do that. You can't, you cannot neglect your marriage saying, well, i got to focus on the business or i got to focus on the kids or we have to do these other things. So the marriage will, the marriage will tolerate it. The marriage will endure all this neglect, and it won't. Mm -hmm. I just got a message last night from a friend. Uh, they've been married 20 years, and their marriage is, is, is about to end. And uh, it, it just comes from slow, subtle neglect. And that's why we call it an investment, because often the excuse people give is that they can't afford it. And we're like, well, that's why it's called an investment, because you're investing. You can't always afford investing, but you do it because... You want the long-term benefits that come from it. You want the compounding interest, so to say. And in marriage, this is the compounding interest. When you make the time and money investment into your marriage, it's going to deliver returns. But if you don't because you say you can't afford it, well, you're not going to get those returns. You just won't. You miss out. You miss out, and there's no recovering that. Right. There's no making up for the missed compound interest when you choose not to invest early on. Yep. And regularly. Right. So and regularly. All the years that you miss, like you, you can't get those back. They're gone. Exactly. Now you can you can do great things from here on out, but what you missed, you missed. You can't there's no going back. Right. And so it's man, it's worth every effort to make that happen. And like with everything in life, you get out what you put in. Mm hmm So put in more and it's amazing. Okay. On to the topic. Well, and it was on this trip, essentially, that we started having this conversation about ha discussing this in a podcast episode. Yep. Um, there is a massive and growing problem, and you, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've heard about it, and it's been in the news. Uh, the movie has come out recently called The Sound of Freedom. Which we, we have seen not yet seen yet because we're overseas. Because we're it's not out. Um, it, it's caught a lot of interest. but It's also receiving flack from... Tons. Media, Hollywood, there's a, there's people. There's a big group of people fighting against it. Some have called it a conspiracy theory. The So we just want to say, from firsthand knowledge, there is a very real problem. It is much bigger than most people think, and honestly, than most people want to believe. We don't want to believe it's this big and this bad. And it's one of those dark, evil things that stays hidden. Mm -hmm. And that's why we can think, nah, it can't be near as bad as they're saying. And like, oh, come on. They're, they're just making this stuff up. And, and if it's not happening directly to us or someone we know, if we believe it's not happening in our neighborhood, which is actually super naive because it is happening in your neighborhood, referring maybe not specific trafficking but definitely sexual abuse and and like someone recently posted and was was talking about so much of the quote trafficking or sexual abuse that's happening is happening in people's own homes uh, sexual abuse is happening generally with a relative or someone they they know close mm -hmm. and so sexual abuse is happening all the time that is absolutely happening in your neighborhood as is um pedophiles um Mm -hmm. sexual abuse of children 
is is for sure 100% happening in your neighborhood. And you're like, no, 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 no. We live in a great neighborhood. It is not happening here. I guarantee it. It is happening in your neighborhood. You're like, no, we live in a very affluent, very educated, very religious area. We're, you know, it's not. Yes, it is. It is happening in your neighborhood. Now, it sounds very pessimistic. You might be like, okay, you're being a little extreme, Greg. I promise you it's happening. And the reason you said quickly in passing that you're talking about firsthand knowledge, one, it's happened to us. Two, meaning it's happened to our children. Two, it's happened to people you know that you've talked to. Many. Three, you are involved in an organization that works with anti-human trafficking, and you are regularly, I, I mean, I think every day, I don't know, are receiving updates. I see you on your phone receiving updates on the intel of ha that's happening around the world. And so it's happening everywhere is the point. Yep. Um, we're going to share some stories and examples, I think, but... But just to emphasize and exp expound on what this means, firsthand knowledge, this is what we're talking about. Firsthand knowledge, this is what's happening. Yep. And my uh, friends, some guys I know, they are out regularly uh, fighting this, running missions and ops inside the U.S. and outside the U.S. Now, we... Again, just human nature, we want to think, oh, those horrible, bad things, they happen somewhere else. We love to think that they happen in these other dirty, filthy countries where they're just terrible, rotten people. And while those things are happening, what's interesting about this specific thing is that American men are the greatest consumers. So those filthy, disgusting things that are happening in other countries are actually the, the consumers are American men traveling there but we would be so naive and ignorant to think that it's only happening there. It is also happening right here in our own backyard, so to speak, in the United States. Well, right. So the trafficking industry itself, one, it's happening when people travel to other countries. And two, it's essentially um, America is the largest importers of human trafficking. Yep. So they're the biggest consumers of... Both abroad Traffic. and yeah. at home. Of trafficked yep. they're, humans. They're bringing them into our country. They're sneaking them in. They're taking them right in our country. They're, this girl, she was a young adult and got in uh, an Uber and woke up four states over inside a shipping container. They had uh, given her some, some chemicals to make her pass out. Luckily... She had stuffed her phone in her bra, and they didn't know about it. So when she woke up, she grabbed it, turned it on, and they were able to locate her and save her, rescue her. Well, um, our own daughter was living in Texas. We were abroad at the time, I think. I'm not sure where. And she called us when she was in an Uber because... He wasn't. He was not following the route he was supposed to be following. To take her somewhere. Yeah. And so she called us, and you know, was obviously terrified because she realized that this individual was taking her someplace they weren't supposed to be going. And luckily, was able to. And especially with her, she has. You know, most of us have fight, flight, or freeze when we get. You know, the basal ganglia goes off. We're in danger. She freezes, and so she was essentially frozen. She could barely talk to us on the phone, and we just managed to tell her that we're tracking you. Just tell him that you're on the phone with us, and that you need to pull over right now and he get needs out. to pull over right now and let you out. And, you know, that she, luckily she was able to do that. But those types of things are happening all the time, and unless you have some sort of training, she at least had the awareness to be like, I need to get, you know, I need some help right now, instead of waiting until it got worse yeah. um and she was able to call us and and get out of that situation but so it's happening it's happening with women young women and girls but also boys as well it has become so bad that anyone could potentially be a victim and we i think we i think we mentioned another episode but there was recently a soccer coach 
in Tennessee that had been a soccer coach in the community, a trusted member of the community for like 21 years or something like that. And he got busted. He would invite, because everyone trusted him. Well, what happened was he was at Chick-fil-A or something. No, I don't, it's some restaurant, and he left his phone. And Sorry, we don't want to taint Chick-fil-A's the, name. <laughs> <laughs> the server, uh, they grabbed the phone and, and they opened it up to see who it belonged to, see if they could contact him, and they found all these videos. This pervert w- w- videoed himself raping all these boys. So he would invite the boys over to his house. Yep, he was a soccer, a soccer coach. coach. Everyone trusted him. Everyone invited loved him. him over. Like, oh, yeah, going over. He would drug them and then would... Have sex with them yes. and record it on his phone. So luckily, the well, I say luckily only because the boys weren't really traumatized by it because they were unconscious. He he would use the chemical Which and make them pass out. I would believe still would cause some trauma. But yes, yes, exactly, yes. But they weren't conscious. They weren't aware. Right. Um, and so he he and for years, for years, had been raping boys little as six i think up to like 17 something like that so it's and and then filming it just an absolute sicko and right in this good little christian community where he was so trusting and and all these things happened so even even when i was a young man i was 15 16 when my friend uh she her dad got arrested like what's going on and he was you know they'd been married for couple decades he had been a leader in his church he was leading his congregation for years and years and years i mean we just thought he was this phenomenal guy and turns out he was busted for sexual abuse sexual molestation of girls and he had hidden it from his church congregation from his family from his daughter for all this stuff and he got busted and he'd been doing it for years and years and years i mean right right there and I remember as a teen, just like, what? Like, what What a charlatan. What a fake. What a phony. This whole facade, this total mask of being this super spiritual good guy. I mean, he was a rotten, rotten pervert. Well, okay, let me, let me, let me pause here. I've seen it where it's genuinely, I know this is going to be hard to walk through, good person. Like, in these aspects, like, they're good people, but they have a very severe and perverted sexual addiction. And in they do very, very bad things while, in another way, kind of being good people, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to just say, oh, absolute, evil, depraved, malicious person. It was a Humans a are more decent, complex than that. Right, it was a decent human being with a very rested twisted distorted sexual perversion doing committing heinous crimes right and very often people that are committing sexual abuse have been abused themselves so we recognize that it's a result of um many many victims become exactly right um but one of the reasons why we're having this conversation is because of this dangerous aspect that people who are committing these atrocities and crimes are very often people who look like and act like and in some ways are good people. Yep. And that's why it's so terrifying and yeah, it, and requiring our vigilance because it is often the good people who are doing these things. It's not going to be someone who you think looks like Charles Mason or, you know, like some psycho serial killer. Even they are often people that are very unassuming yeah. and very nice people, and you think, oh, they're safe. That's they're what I was harmless. just thinking right now. If, if we pulled up just a, a, a photograph and, and we would find a smiling picture mm-hmm. of all these people and we just held up and, and you know, which which one of these looks like a sexual a, predator a predator abuser a trafficker you'd look through and be like oh geez none of them or oh maybe that one he kind of has this look in his eyes and and it would be like yeah every one of them every single one of them it was guilty right and, and they don't look like it so you can't just go out looking for the person that looks right evil because <laughs> that's not the case and if i were to ask okay well 
Is it men or women? Well, both. Women are participating a ton now in trafficking and because they're, they're easier to trust. So they're usually being manipulated by someone else or they're in it for the money or whatever. I, you guys, I hear the stories that just blow your mind of, of women running huge, hugely successful nonprofit organizations and they're actually secretly... They're a front for trafficking. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. they're hidden right in plain sight. Or politicians, which I, or I've seen it in movies before, and you think, "Oh, well, whatever." No, they're putting that in movies because it is actually it's happening. Yeah. It's a reality that's happening. And so people you, are putting this front on of doing good in the world, and in reality, there it's it's being used to traffic other human beings. Yeah. Because let's just be honest, it's a huge money maker. It's huge. Massive. One of the things that they talk about with the aspect of trafficking is that it's a renewable product, so to say. It, a resellable. human being is a resellable product in that you can sell this human over and over and over and over again Which to multiple people. They're being sold five to ten times per night. Which is just right. so disgusting. And so, you know, and, well, and Let's just give some more insight here. One of the things they've been talking about in these circles of anti-human trafficking is to doctors and dentists to start looking out because the traffickers want to take good care of their product, so to say. I'm, you know, I'm using the terminology that's disturbing because that's how it's viewed. And so they're taking good care of them. They're taking them to the doctor or the dentist to make sure that they're, you know, in good health. And it's because they want to invest in their asset. This is a moneymaker for me. I can sell this person five times a night. I need to make sure they're healthy. And so they're trying to train awareness, you know, train doctors and dentists in awareness to like watch out for these things because this is going on. This is what's happening. That's so sick. So part of the thing I want to talk about is, well, well, how does this happen? How have we gotten to this point? How has our society become this perverted and disturbed and can i share one more before we go there because mm -hmm. i don't want to forget this one this one rocked me oh man when i heard this story it just it just broke me uh, it was a student i had and she is an amazing person and i had mentored her through her teens she was just world class just so awesome um, super special and she and her mom came on one of our trips uh, overseas and it was awesome and we really connected and then they told me the story that for quite a long time when she was a little girl they she went over to play with her little little friends I, they were I think starting when they were five or six or seven I mean they're really little she'd go over to to play with her little girlfriend um, couple of doors down and for a very long time the dad was raping her as a little girl again and again and again whenever she went over to play she would get raped and she didn't tell anyone because she got threatened she was a little girl and that went on for a long time and it all and, and nobody knew about it for years and then finally in somewhere in her teens she it all came out and of course when it comes out it the trauma, the hurt, the pain, the suffering, oh my goodness, just horrendous. And in such a difficult uh, period of, of healing. And, and so when I heard that story, oh, it just broke my heart and made me obviously so angry. And it was just this massive warning. Here are these, these in a good little neighborhood, these cute little girls just being friends and you think of course I'll just send her over to play with her of course she gets to go over and play with her friend and and little did they know that the dad the guy the man who's supposed to be protecting these little girls was the predator mm -hmm. and it was it was a, just a sick reminder that I want to say you can't trust anyone <laughs> Well, and and I, there are I, very few people you can actually trust. And I, we're going to talk about this, and I, I want to talk about that. Like, what do you do about this? How do you prevent it? How do you, how do you protect yourself? And we're going to go through that. Um, and in some ways, <laughs> that's a part of it. 
like honestly for me I don't trust anyone especially yeah. not right off yeah. there's no way and so we'll talk through some of that but I think what I want to bring awareness to is why and how this is happening now obviously it's very complex there's no one answer but I think in what we have seen and heard part of the answer is well one the abuse abusers were often abused that's part of it but then which then that would still keep it small way smaller than it is well except that I also believe that because now more people are becoming abused there's going to be more abusers exactly and that's all being fed by I think this is where you're going yeah but a lot of this I mean I don't know what the percentage is but I would think it's a majority is being fueled and fed by pornography hands down and so what's happening is you know I mean think about it 50 100 years I don't know when pornography came out in print format <laughs> um, before that and Jordan Peterson brought this up a man could go an entire lifetime and maybe see a handful of naked women maybe right because you lived in a society where people were modest they wore clothes and they you know Victorian they it was down to their ankles and their and their wrists you know and so seeing a naked woman was a very rare thing. Well, introduced pornography, and now it's easier to see a naked woman, even if it's just in a photograph. I mean, teenage boys are seeing naked women multiple times per day, and now videos of it right. is easily accessible. Well, okay, and so this is where I'm going. So what's happening is all of this is just amping up. It's increasing. And so now you can see more naked women in one day than a man used to see in his entire lifetime, right? And what happens with this process is it actually starts to desensitize you. So now where just seeing a naked woman might be exciting or enticing or erotic or whatever, now that's no longer enough because you see a naked woman all the time. Like, meh, it no big deal. It. It's very, it becomes so, very normal. Well, so, yeah, there are some terms that our society and many societies have done this in the past. And you can, you can study the societies that were very sexualized and it always led to the destruction of the civilization and society. Um, there, were, there were places we've visited in ancient Rome and ancient mm -hmm. Greece that, and Turkey. Uh, that just were highly, highly sexualized and then collapsed um, because of it. But you're seeing that it's been sexualized and then normalized. Exactly. And so then it becomes so common, as with everything, same with a little bit of drugs or caffeine or whatever, after a while, it's not enough to get the rush or the high or mm -hmm. the hit anymore right so it has to grow it has to change it has yeah. to alter and so what what happens then of course is and there's a whole progression here but you know sex gets more weird or kinky or violent or then it goes on which now we're leading to kind of this point here now child pornography yep. is a huge thing it's a big it's a big industry it's a big deal because the the addict needs novelty Right. And so it went to violent and it went to strange. Now it's gone to children. children. Essentially, right. Yeah. Um, Boys and girls. Exactly. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves at now is that pornography is so rampant. I mean, it's common. And in fact, many people don't even think pornography is a big deal. They think, eh. In fact, we've had people tell us personally, people we personally know that like, you know what? Pornography is not a big deal. Like, if my husband wants to look at porn, great. That means he wants to have sex less with me, and I'm okay with that. That's their take. It's or not a big say, deal if my husband or my sons look at pornography. They'll say, oh, it's, it's very natural. It's normal. It's like, a natural, normal thing. Yeah, if my boys know? want to look at it, of course. Uh, what's wrong with that? But what people don't understand and don't fully realize is that that's not where it ends. Besides the fact <laughs> we did a whole podcast episode about masturbation and cheap sexual acts, which ties de definitely ties into this and is worth listening to. Um, the f besides the fact that you're actually, and this is proven, reducing your ability to have a normal relationship with someone, partly because what do you need to do in order to you know fulfill yourself? Well, look at porn and masturbate. That's easy. But to go out and talk to a girl, that's terrifying. Like, why would you do that? That's way more terrifying than just staying at home by yourself and masturbating to porn. 
Like that's easy. There's no requirements. There's, There's no, no requirements. You don't have to level up. You don't have to be anybody or do anything. You can do whatever you want and watch video games and, and have that. That's that's way easier than having to. Yeah, it's this pseudo reality. You can be yeah. a total loser and get the hottest girl right. via pornography. Exactly. Well, and now they're coming out with AI porn. Like they, our son, who's 18 now, I mean, he has been seeing advertisements on Instagram for this AI friend that you can talk to, which then, of course, the next level, and I mean, I've heard this from Jordan Peterson, is now then it turns into porn. So you have this friend who's virtual, and you can chat with her and everything, but then if you pay extra for the membership, it's I had not the heard porn version. Oh, oh yeah, gosh, I've heard Jordan insane. Peterson talk about it. But that's the next level is, is kind of this Think. virtual porn where you get to have this online girlfriend and she can be she can be everything you she, want her yeah, to exactly. be exactly and it's and she can just talk to right. you and, and do she's all this of course stuff. very attractive right. and perfect in every yeah, way she's going to be perfect and it's she's not going to nag you <laughs> your she's not going to gonna... make you pick up your socks or take out the garbage <laughs> <laughs> yep no no responsibilities no requirements no demands exactly but your brain's going to go through all the sensations right and so you'll Sensations that used to drive men to take action, right. to get off to their butts men. and do something. To, yeah, to be men. It, that desire, that desire for that type of interaction and that type of connection, so quote unquote, with a woman, drove them to do something with themselves. Well, they don't have to do that now because now they can get it virtually and they can still maintain their loserhood without you know, without having to change anything and get what they're after. And the same is true for married men where instead of leveling up and being better, they can just view porn. Right. And and they can escape. And we're not just They throwing, don't have to try to figure out men. how to get their wife to have right. sex with them, you know, and go through all the requirements she has, quote unquote. They don't have to do the dishes. <laughs> they can just go have this other interaction which meets their needs and there's nothing they have to do to be better right now it sounds like we're just totally throwing men under the bus here there is another aspect where some very very good men who are very loving men who want to have a great relationship with their wife um, for whatever reason the wife doesn't they're understand not having, they're not having sex enough and I know some in desperation finally turn to that um, and again, there, there's no excuse here, but they, they turn to it because they have this natural drive and it's not being met. But that, that we're getting off track here. And all of that is discussed in more detail in our other podcasts yeah. about sex on what men need, what husbands need from their wives. There's like four episodes. So, But coming back, so now it's we've had decades of porn that went to hardcore porn and has been readily available, easily available, decades of it. Decades. It literally rewires the brain, and it has to, in order to get the hit, and there's science behind all this, and dopamine, whatever, it has to get harder and harder, worse and worse. So then... Or more novel, more intense, more... And then they perverted. become predators. They begin acting out on it. Right. And I saw this. I met um, when we were in Costa Rica. I was hiking this waterfall and happened to meet the president of Fight the New Drug. And he told me of young teenage boys who had never even kissed a girl. Like, never, like, they didn't leave, but they had already, as teenage boys, been addicted to hard porn for so many years and then went. You know, went through all the cycles to violent to then child porn. And these kids were being slapped with uh, pedophile charges with, without even having left. That, that was one story. This kid, I mean, the police bust down the door and the parents are like, what's going on? He's like, well, your kid's online um, consuming uh, child porn. Right. Then he said other stories where these young teens and especially young adults. Meaning they, 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 they were doing it from home. Yep, all from home. Never even left their house. Right. But then there were other ones, of course, that after all of that virtual stuff wasn't enough and they became predators. And so they went out and. Young, were inexperienced it out. boys yeah. who 
had no normal interactions with girls, yep. but now were porn addicts and predators and abusers. Yep. So porn is rampant. Um, from from what I've s seen and, and read, things like that, it, it looks like about 75% of young men and men are looking at porn regularly. And this includes in church. Everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Do not assume that, that not your little in your group is, is not doing I know doing it this. happens within our church. That's about the statistic. 70% yep. of men and are so looking at porn. It's happening. It's been happening for so long now that it's just become rampant. And now it's moved to child porn where thousands of new child porn is being uploaded to the Internet every day. Many, one, many thousands of new videos. Think about that. So children are being sexually abused, and it's being filmed, and it's being uploaded to the Internet every day. Thousands. Now, one great thing I did hear or read recently what is that since Elon Musk has purchased Twitter, he has been very diligent about removing child porn from Twitter, which is great. It's fantastic. It needs to be fought. But, it, oh, man, this is such a complicated subject. But the point is, if, and, and this is where I'm going to drop the hammer here, if in any way, shape, or form you are participating or somehow facilitating in porn, you are feeding this much, much bigger problem. Right. You're participating in the cause. And you might be thinking, no, man, I, I would never do that. That's sick. I, I, you know, I just watch a little bit here, a little bit there. By supporting that industry or tolerating it in any way, shape, or form, you are in a, in a way contributing to a much bigger problem. Right. Even though you're sitting there saying, I would never do that you're actually participating in the cause. And, and I would even let, raise that up to say, if we're not actively fighting against this and teaching against it and, and discouraging it, if we're not a part of the solution, then by default we are a part of the mm -hmm. problem. And the problem is so big and so deeply entrenched and exactly like a drug that it's causing so many problems now and it's led to this horrendous situation we're in where there are millions of women and children being sexually abused, sold for sex, and, and trafficked. That's, and that's just trafficking. There are many, many other millions who are being sexually abused all the time. So, yeah, why don't you really quickly give the numbers on human, the human trafficking statistics? Well, their estimate, again, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say. It's obviously nobody's out registering in some kind of <laughs> census. It's all hidden, so it's hard to say. But some experts are assuming... They're stating pretty boldly that the numbers we have could be unbelievably low compared to the reality. We just don't know. But there are tens of millions of people being trafficked right now. Of those, there's at least a couple of million who are children and that are in just specifically in sex trafficking. Mm hmm and like I said, they're being sold five to ten times per night. There are children being trafficked as young as three-year-olds, uh, but we've, we've come across even younger. Again, I, I will spare you the horrors, the, the, the stories and images that are, will never leave my head. I haven't even told Rachel these. The, the evil, the things that have been done to little, little children, the things that are they're so evil and so dark, most decent people couldn't even imagine it. We couldn't come up with that kind of evil, the things they've done. And these were first-hand stories told to me. Uh, I, I, I can't even comprehend this. And... And when I think about it, I just want to rescue these little kids. And, and even more than that, I want to prevent it from, from happening. So that's so, the whole reason we're, we're having this episode. Right. So back to what do we do about this? Well, I think you, you pointed out the very first thing we do, which is make sure you're not contributing to this industry because the porn industry is feeding the human trafficking, human trafficking industry. Absolutely. Like there's just a direct connection yep. it's directly connected there is so correlation if, and causation exactly so if you are participating in the porn industry at all you are contributing to the human trafficking issue so that's the first stop because if we if fewer people consumed porn there's still going to be the people out there that do it 
and they're the ones that are then going to become the predators or whatever. But we can do our part by not participating in the pornography industry. And then the next level is fighting it. If, if we got it back to, if we, if we made it so difficult to get a hold of and shameful, yes, I'm purposely using the word shameful. Some of you are like, oh, we shouldn't shame people. Like, whatever. Shameful things need to be shamed. And, and people ought to feel very ashamed of shameful behavior. I remember seeing this guy. We were, we were in some store. I think we were in Alaska. We lived in Alaska. This guy, he, was, he hadn't showered. He hadn't taken care of himself. He was just disgusting. And he, he literally looked like he slithered. I mean, that was the word. He just slithered in the store. And he was kind of embarrassed or whatever. And he, and he bought this porn magazine. He went up to the counter and just slid his little money over. I mean, he just looked. He was just dripping with disgusting. He, he just a foul thing. And then just, and, and even the cashier was like, and then he kind of just slithered out. And I just watched this whole interaction. And and he had to, he had to slither out of his hole, come into, into the public area in, in front of other people, get his thing that he wanted his, to feed his little addiction and slither back into his hole. He, it, it was, it was a lot more work. And now nobody has to go anywhere or do anything. They mm-hmm. just well, on the phone or any, any device, they can get access to it. So if we, f- if we can fight against it, somehow join, participate in, in fighting this. And I don't know, some of you will have a particular set of skills that you can use to fight against these things. But many of you, perhaps most of you, can help by awareness, talking about it, if if we share this and share this episode and talk about it with more people, if more parents are aware of it and talking about it, it's going to prevent more kids, women and children from being victims because the awareness of it is like, hey, I'm not going to be so trusting. I'm going to watch out for it. I'm going to, I got my eyes out and I start noticing some odd behaviors mm-hmm. and I'm going to be aware. And if, it, if, if I have some kind of evidence, then I'm going to bring alert authorities like, hey, this, this is not good. And, and we start shutting it down. And making it really, really hard, if not impossible. But it starts with fighting against, not participating in porn, fighting against porn, and then spreading awareness. And, well, sorry, one more thing I want to hit. You can contribute to this financially. Because, uh, you know, it took, there was a mission that was done uh, recently, and it was a very successful bust. But it costs somewhere between forty dollars and $50,000 to go do it. Now, is it worth it? Infinitely. If it was your child... And how many people did they rescue in that? And they, I think, got 12 people. So they busted uh, a few traffickers and I think rescued 12 people. Now, if it was for one, it would be enough. Well, and, and what's really important to consider here is not only did they rescue those, but they rescued all of the people that would be brought into that by right. those traffickers. Those were active traffickers, and it was set up right next to a school, actually. Hmm. And they were, they were constantly watching. So it's those 12 that were in it, but how many would would have been pulled into it in the next few years had mm-hmm. they not busted them? Right. But even if it was for one, it was for your child, would you pay forty or 50000 in a heartbeat? Without question. But it's expensive. And so you can contribute to, to good organizations that are doing it right, and you can help be a part of this solution. So I just want to give some other ideas for, you know, especially with our own home, our own family. One, of course, not participating in pornography. If or that's, letting, yes, not participating, but now I'm, I'm thinking, like, don't let your kids get on it. That's what I was going to say. Okay, like, we, we need to set up um, safety nets for our own children, especially our own sons. And we need to be educating them and talking about this, not in a way that's, Gonna creep them out, right? Or Nor in a way terrify that's them. Introduce it or to introduce them. the idea. Sometimes that happens. We start talking about it, and now they're like, "What?" Yeah, you've, you've piqued their curiosity. There's naked people on the internet. You know, like they didn't know that before, and now they do. We don't want to be introducing it, but we do want to appropriately bring awareness to them about that this is a real issue. Um, one thing my husband regularly does with our sons and our daughters, but it's more common with the sons, is 
Just ask them, when was the last time you saw pornography? When was the last time you saw a naked woman? Whether that's on your phone or the TV or whatever, he's just asking them regularly. So it's not weird or awkward. They, you know, it, it's random. They know dad's going to ask at some point and you know, they just tell us, or they come to us when it happens or when they see something, our, our sons have been on Instagram and girls, girls they don't know will contact them on Instagram and be like, Hey, send me a picture, you know, and or they'll just, the first point of contact will be sending a naked picture. Yeah. And when that happens, our boys immediately let us know. We were out of the state once when our son called and said, hey, I just want you to let, to let you know that this just happened on Instagram. I blocked this person. I deleted, you know, whatever. Um, but I want you to know what's going on. And so you have to just have that openness with your children so that you can talk about these things and, and you can be aware. Our, our little girls who are currently nine and six, and I think I even heard you this morning talking about it, we regularly talk about it. They have full permission to kick men in the nuts. They have full permission to bite, kick, scream, whatever, gouge eyes. Like we've told them full out. And we've, of course, taught them that that's not always appropriate. But if any time they feel threatened or uncomfortable or like someone is doing something they shouldn't, they have permission to be violent. We've told them this because I, I would be more worried about them being afraid because that's what people use they use these fear tactics of I'm going to hurt you or I'm going to hurt someone my girls and if anyone have met my girls in person you know they're feisty and they will be and this goes for our older girls too like they will be ready and willing to fight to protect themselves we've also talked about and this you, might you have to teach your children the virtue of violence yes exactly and, and I'm saying that purposely there is a virtue in violence, and it's in protecting yourself and others that, that can't protect themselves. Exactly. There, we, we, we have this knee-jerk reaction that all violence is bad. It's right. not. And we teach our kids that they should be nice, and they shouldn't kick people, and they shouldn't hit people, which, yes, you're right. Most of the time that's true, but we also have to teach our children that there is a time when they should be kicking and hitting and screaming and gouging. Yeah. They need to be. And if there were more people like that, there would be fewer victims because the victims would be standing up for themselves. Yeah. Um, I have, we have some German friends, and she told me that when she was younger, and I think this is actually brilliant, that her mother told her that one of way, a way to protect herself, if she was ever in a situation where, you know... she kind of sexual abuse. Yeah, she was being preyed upon, especially if it's something you couldn't get out of say someone was holding on to you or whatever she's like make yourself as disgusting as possible poop or pee yourself like whatever it takes literally start slobbering out of your mouth and like just, just look like you're blow boogers on your face like just start looking like you have mental issues or something like whatever it is just start making yourself disgusting yeah. and if you have to pee your pants to do that perfect great and so we've told our our kids that too i'm like i don't care what it takes do whatever you need to, to make yourself disgusting, um, <laughs> disturbing, <laughs> hurtful. Like, that's okay. You have full permission. And fight. And one of the things that I learned many years ago, I heard that and predators will make threats. The reason people don't speak up is because they make threats. Like, mm -hmm. hey, if you tell anyone, I'm going to hurt your family. I know where they live. I'll come get them. Mm -hmm. So for... 15 years I've been telling my children hey if anyone ever threatens you that they're going to hurt us you come right back and tell me immediately you come immediately to me come tell me and, and you know at first they were like well won't they come hurt you and I said like let me show you what would what, what I would do and what would happen and I've assured them that um you would if, be able to protect if anyone brings a fight to my doorstep they had better be ready to fully receive the fight I'm going to bring and, and if they bring violence to my family, they're going to receive violence tenfold. And so my kids know that, like, that threat's bogus, and they will come right back and tell me. Right. And so they're, they're not going to hide back and say, well, oh, so-and-so was doing this terrible thing to me, and, and I couldn't tell you. I'm like, oh, no. You come back and you tell me because they're going to get the full wrath. Well, and I think a part of that um, that works because they also know you are the type of person that has that capability. You have the strength and the knowledge and the wisdom 
to be able to protect yourself and us. Like, I just think that they don't doubt that. And so that's another part of it, too, I think, is that we have to be more competent and capable yep. people, exactly. even including being violent if and when necessary. So um, we've been training with our kids. We've been doing martial arts in Krav Maga. I take the kids to martial arts. We've been, I've been teaching them submission holds and fighting techniques for years and years and years. And they've seen me, and they've seen me perform in those gym situations mm -hmm. and know full well what my capabilities are. So they're in there training with me, and they look over, and they're like, wow. <laughs> Don't okay. mess with Dad. Like, do not mess with So they, they know. And, and when, when I spar with them, I work them, and so they know, like, okay, it's ready. So even this morning, we're, we're working on the bags, and I'm teaching them more techniques. And we were talking about it. I don't, I don't know where it comes I, from. I it's, just heard it's you. So like, kick him in it the was, nuts or something. Was, no, Sanji was like, oh, if, if somebody tried to come up, I would just kick him in the nuts. And I was, and so, you know, most of us react like, oh, no, that, don't you do, that. do that. My first thing was, yep, exactly. I said, if anyone's ever threatening you, you have my permission to trick them as hard and grab them, claw and scratch, do whatever you have, bite, do whatever you have to do to protect mm -hmm. yourself. And they know that full well, and, and we're showing it. So uh, to your point, Rachel, like the way you do life, your habits, your lifestyle, all of those things matter so that they hear it and see it and know that it's a different reality. Right. And, and, and our house is full of weapons. Yeah, well, <laughs> side note, full of weapons. Well, and the, in this process, we're learning... We're teaching them to differentiate, and we're teaching them to, to recognize that there are different types of situations. Because if you just teach one size fits all morality of be nice to everyone, well, then that's when you get that's a both. child, be nice to everyone, be obedient and respectful to adults. Well, then that's when you get the situation where a child goes over to an adult's house, well, a friend's house, but then the adult behaves in a way that's inappropriate yep. and they're they're taught and they think oh i'm supposed to be obedient i'm supposed to be respectful i'm not supposed to say anything or hurt this person or kick like that's not allowed behavior Oof. but if you Man. teach that it is allowed behavior in the right situations and then teach them to discern well then that's they have more power and so that's when we have to teach competence and capability and teach that sometimes violence is the answer and actually there's a book I still have not read it, but it's I phenomenal. should do it. Yep. Um, but I know all of our teens have read it. And love along it. Along with you. Yep. That there, there's a book called that, When Violence is the Answer. Because sometimes violence is the answer. Especially when you're trying to protect yourself from predators. Yeah. Naivete and um, conformity. And pacifism. And pacifism and a lack of self-confidence can be extremely, extremely dangerous. And it's not that those aren't good qualities or admirable, but there are times when it, that's not going to work. If you teach your children to be a pa your child to be a pacifist, they are going to be at danger for trafficking if they're ever confronted in that situation. Or any kind of abuse. Um, I know for myself, I personally went through a time period in my life as a mother when. I, I don't know if it was the route, you know, the journey our life was taking. We were traveling. We were doing things differently and unconventionally. We were living abroad. We went through what we call our hippie phase. And there was a time when I believed, I wanted to believe, that there were no bad people in the world, that everyone was inherently good, and that, you know, there were some people that were misguided, but there weren't actually... There weren't actually bad people. And I've just come to see that that's just not true. And if we believe that, we actually put ourselves in danger and we, make our, we can make ourselves victims. Because there are people out there who, for whatever reason, and maybe it's not always their fault, maybe it's because of, you know, how they've been raised or what they've been taught or not been taught or what's happened to them, there are people out there who do not have good intentions. They do not have the goodness of humanity as their goal or as part of their understanding. And so we have to be willing to be violent when necessary, and we have to teach our children to protect themselves when necessary, hoping that it's never going to be needed. 
But if we don't, that's when we are in the most danger. Yeah. And from an experience I know of personally, this happened to someone that we know where, well, a couple of people that we know where they weren't able or willing at the time because of what they've been taught or how they've been raised to be violent. And as a result, they were preyed upon. They were abused sexually. And in those instances, it was by peers. Well, one was by peers. Another was by, it was instigated by peers. In this situation, this person had, they were attending a, a local school, and they had a peer at the school whom they thought they could trust, which obviously they couldn't. This person took them away from the school to, I think it was probably like a hotel room, and there they were surrounded by, I think it was maybe like a gang or something, of older men. They were in their 30s. This was a teenage girl. And they sexually abused her there. Um, And she hadn't learned to protect herself or to fight back or to use violence. And so she, there was nothing, they threatened her. They threatened her family. They told her that if, you know, they had a gun and they said, if you say anything to anyone, we're going to kill your family. And, of course, you know, she believed them. What what was she going to do? And so she was abused by them. I think it happened more than once. And part of it was she had been taught that there's no bad people in the world. There's no, you know, people are inherently good. And so she, it, it created this cognitive dissonance of, like, well, what's going on? I thought people are inherently good. How is this happening to me right now if people are good? And they're saying they're going to kill my family and they're doing this. I, I believe them. Like, I, I, I have to be quiet. And so it happened more than once because of that. And, you know, it was because they weren't willing or able or capable of fighting and being violent and of discerning people that you can actually trust. And so kind of going back to what you said before in jest, but I think in some ways reality, is that we don't trust any, everyone. There's very few people we actually trust. Yeah, extremely few. And we're never going to trust someone right off. Oh, this, I think, fits in perfectly. Like, one of the other things is sleepovers. We just don't do sleepovers. Now, we have done sleepovers as a whole family with another family or something like that, but we don't send our kids away to do sleepovers. Like, that's just not something we do. We have some friends who told us that um, they just would tell people straight out, like, hey, your child's coming over here. I'm the father. I will never be alone with your child, and I would hope you would do the same. I never want my child alone with another male in your house. Yeah. Never. Like, that's just, yeah, you might think I'm weird for saying this, but I, this is how it is. Yeah. You just can't trust people. You just can't expect that, oh, that's a good person and everything will be fine. It, it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. It just doesn't. People have private perversions that... That are you never made, about. that sometimes even their spouse doesn't know about, yeah. or their children. And so you just have to have these safe, these safeguards in place to protect yourself and, in a way, approach it from, sorry, I don't trust you, and so this is what I'm putting in place to protect my child. See, and, and we're so afraid of the social repercussions yeah. of that, but I would much rather suffer social repercussions than... The yeah. real consequences exactly that are happening, and again, d- don't just think it's with adults either. It's happening with peers. In fact, I've for years and years and years come across stories of even small children who had been abused becoming predators. They're just acting out what happened right. to them. So, exactly. so when you stop and say, "Well, is it rich people or poor people are doing it?" Both. Is it men or women? Both. Well, which race or religion is most likely to do it? All of them. Mm-hmm. Is it is it older or younger? Both. Like, it's everywhere. It has just permeated society. It is an unbelievable problem. And you and I, ladies and gentlemen, have to prevent it from happening in ourselves, in our family, and then reach out and, and fight against it. Please do not be a part of the problem and actively, deliberately become a part of the solution. Do whatever you can to help put an end to this heinous, heinous evil that is prevalent and pervasive. We've got to put a stop to this. So, um, again, in in my Be The Man Masterclass and training, we walk through and and talk about tools and tactics to do this. 
and, and get the training, get the resources, get whatever you need to be more of an asset to, to stop this evil in the world. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Reach out with me.